morning. Welcome to Horizon. Let me get my stuff together here. Uh, my name is Ryan, and I uh, direct our student ministries here. But it is uh, glad to—I'm glad to see you. Man, check out all these lights and new cameras. I mean, this is pretty impressive. Um, thank you if you're a part of that um, campaign to add this. Um, but it's, it was a little cruel to add all this during the holiday season, I'm going to say, because some of us on stage might be in the process of packing on a few holiday pounds. Um, so if you, if you happen to be watching this out there in the atrium or on a, you know, a laptop somewhere, you know, just know that these particular HD cameras add a, a minimum of like 30 or 40 pounds um, to the presenter, and they, they have a weird filter where it makes it look like you're losing your hair. Um, <laughs> So we don't want you to miss out. So if you're wondering what, like, the front row is seeing, you know, picture, like, a young Brad Pitt, and you'll be somewhere in the ballpark. Um, But in all seriousness, what a great song that God chose such a strange way to save the world, right? That if I would have been on that planning committee, and maybe you, I would have said, God, we need to crank this thing up to, like, an 11 on the awesome factor, right? And we would have went big. I would have said, God, we need, like fireworks and music and, you know, singing choruses of men and dancers. It would have been like Prince Ali entering the kingdom in Aladdin, right? Like, that's how I would have done it. Um, But God, in his wisdom, instead went small, right? And and he sent Jesus in the most fragile of packages as an infant. And, And that very picture has become a hallmark for us of the Christmas season, So speaking of Hallmark, I want to start with a poignant question, okay? Very deep. How many of you guys have ever watched one of those Hallmark holiday movies? Anybody willing to admit that? I I think maybe the right word is endure. Um, But you know, it's like the small-town veterinarian tragically loses his wife in a uh, butter-churning accident. Um, And he is miserable for years until he meets the new girl in town up at the Christmas square dance at Old Man Miller's barn, right? Like that... Move the pieces around, that's pretty much all of the movies. Um, Well, whether we want to admit we we watch them or not, uh, we do, because they made 40 new movies this holiday season alone. 40 of them. How crazy is that? Um, But the Hallmark Company has actually been around since the early 1900s. That A man named Joyce Hall um, started a company, and he began selling postcards, and then he moved on to greeting cards, and then he invented wrapping paper, which we, of course, use a lot of this time of year. Um, and when he did that, he, he changed the name to Hallmark, a, a little bit obviously an homage to his name of Hall, but also the word Hallmark has a storied history that in the 1800s, as the uh, trade and sale of fine metals, gold and silver, was increasing, there was becoming more and more fraud, where people were passing off gold um, for a purity that it wasn't or a weight that it wasn't. So the king brought it all back in-house. And he said, hey, now we're going to test these fine metals, and we're going to weigh them, and we're going to give them a hallmark or a stamp of their actual value. And it became something that could be trusted, that could be taken to the bank, that that was what it said it was. And and during this month, we are in a series called Father Christmas, and we're really looking for, you know, what would be the hallmarks of a perfect father? Like, what would those hallmarks be? And last week, Chad talked about the hallmark of God's kindness. And today, I'm going to talk about the hallmark of God's comfort. And when you think of comfort, um, what do you think of? Do you think of like coming home after a long day and pulling on your favorite pair of sweatpants or jeans? 
Um, do you think about your toddler falling in the driveway and you swooping them up and kissing their knee, you know, offering comfort? Do you think of comfort as more like a feeling where like I'm just comfortable in my skin right now, comfortable in this stage of life? It's sort of a complex word. And then when you start thinking of, well, what does comfort from God look like? It's even a little more complex. Is that like a comfortable life where everything's going to work out perfectly, no problems? Is God the cosmic boo-boo kisser who's just going to swoop in and, you know, comfort you all the time? Or is it more of a feeling like, oh, me and God are good. Like we've talked, we've got a comfortable relationship. Well, well, I think it's worth figuring out because the Christmas season in particular, it's a season of joy and happiness, but it can also be a hard season for some of us, right? That some of us, it's a season of missing bygone days, bygone seasons of our life, um, bygone people. And, and for some of us, we're really going to need God's comfort over the next few weeks. That if we're honest, if we're hoping for Christmas season after Christmas season of no discomfort and no pain, um, then we're really going to be disappointed. Because the world is full of broken people like Ryan and broken people like that guy, right? No, I'm sorry, that guy. Um, Like all of us, right? Like the the world is broken, and there's a reason that earth is earth and heaven is heaven, right? Because here there's corruption and there there's not. And, And what's beautiful is the Bible doesn't sugarcoat it, right? Like smack dab in the middle of the Christmas story, you know, with stars and shepherds and angels and wise men. Um, There is an account of the king at the time, an evil king, Herod, um, who literally is so threatened by the coming Messiah that he wipes out all the two-year-old male children in his kingdom. He doesn't know exactly when Jesus was born. The moms probably aren't going to tell the truth about how old their kids are when you're about to kill them. So he's like, you know what? I'm just going to go for two-year-olds and under. I am. Right? Like, Merry Christmas. Right? Like, you don't see that on Christmas cards, right? Like, that verse doesn't pop up um, about King Herod killing the children. Um, But there's a reason for that. And and I can't sugarcoat for you that this Christmas, in particular for me, is going to be hard. That this will be the first Christmas where I'm I'm not trying to figure out whether I should get my dad an old man pair of slippers or like a Cracker Barrel gift card. Right? Those are the two staples I went with. um, Because he's no longer with me. And that's a hard reality to face. And a lot of us have similar realities of facing Christmas for the first time without a loved one, um, facing Christmas possibly for the first time with a, an illness, facing Christmas for the first time without a relationship that you really valued. And, and when we have that stuff in our life, it, it draws up emotions in us, right? Like confusion and, and sadness and anger. Bitterness, and, and when that happens, it pushes us. When we're wounded, we get pushed towards comfort. And what I would ask you today before we jump in with both feet is right now, when you get wounded, where do you go for comfort? Like, is it just to a person? Well, that, that's a heavy load for somebody to carry their whole lives. Is it to a substance, right? Like food, like guilty as charged, right? Like bag of chips. Is it... A substance like alcohol or pills? Is it a behavior like Netflix that's just mind-numbing or social media or shopping or pornography? Like something to just numb the pain? Um, well, well, I submit that there's a better way to find comfort this Christmas. And it all starts with a prediction in the Bible. So in the same way that we have predictions like the Farmer's Almanac or, you know, NFL experts predicting who the Bengals will draft, who will get injured and never help us whatsoever. Um, LAUGHTER 
Sorry, I'm a little jaded. Um, the Bible has predictions that are really prophecies. It's a spiritual word where God would tell, a, tell somebody something and say, hey, tell everybody this. And, and in particular, there's a prophet Isaiah who lived 600 years before the birth of Jesus. And in Isaiah's lifetime, he had seen a ton of just bad leadership. Corrupt kings, lots of moral failures. So people were suffering. It was dark times. And, and since Isaiah knew what was coming because he was a prophet, um, he knew that they were actually on the cusp of a 70-year captivity by the Babylonian Empire. So things were bad and they were about to get worse. So for chapter after chapter, Isaiah writes about things are bad, here comes worse. It's going to get bad, people. But then he starts sprinkling in hope, right? That God's whispering in his ears, hey, in a few centuries, hope's coming. So I want to share with you two verses out of Isaiah to, to kind of kick off our time. So the prophet says, he says, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. So Isaiah is setting up the, the juxtaposition of darkness that they knew, that life is hard, um, but he's, he's hinting at this hope, right? And, and he continues, and he, he's about to give the hope, and he's going to be very blatantly clear. He, he says, For unto us a child is born... Unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And in that verse, there's three invitations of the coming comfort of God that Jesus will fulfill. But first, I want you to check out this video. In 1992, British athlete Derek Redmond was one of those taking part in the 400 metres. Derek had missed out on taking part in Seoul 1998 by mere minutes. An injury meant that he withdrew and watched from the sidelines as Steve Lewis won gold for the US. By Barcelona 1992, Derek was injury-free and determined to win a place on the podium. That wasn't something unfeasible either. He had already shown he was no stranger to winning. The year before, in 1991, he was part of the British 4x400m relay team that had won gold at the World Championships. And Derek was confident he could add to that success at the Olympics. His first heat was a solid run, with his quickest time in the last four years. By the second heat, Derek was starting to find his groove. Once it was time for the semi-finals, Derek was confident he would be racing in the 400 metres final. Had a great warm-up, strides and everything went well, came out on the track, put my blocks down, no problems, told us to strip down, strip down. Then you have the little bit where you're standing in your lane and they come and shove a camera in your face so everyone can see who you are and block that out and everything. And he said, on your marks, get set. The race started well. I couldn't believe that I was running that quick. It's hard to tell positions in the 400 metres due to the staggering of the athletes, but Derek was holding his own. Then it happened. The next thing I heard was a funny pop. Derek knew immediately that he was in trouble. The funny pop had been his hamstring tearing. In severe pain, Derek could only hold his head in his hands as the other competitors sprinted to the finish. I watched them go over the line and obviously I knew it was over. But Derek had not travelled all this way to not finish another race. The bitter memory of missing out in Seoul had stayed with him. 
As medics came to help him off the track, Derek refused to go out without a fight. Obviously in pain, he was going to finish this race, no matter what it took. But Derek wouldn't have to finish this race on his own. Barging his way through the stands came his father, Jim, desperate to help his son in any way he could. The pair continued down the last 100 metres. Back in Derek's hometown, Northampton, the sight of seeing her brother and father struggle so dramatically sent Derek's pregnant sister into labour earlier than expected. In great pain and struggling to move, Derek was in floods of tears as he finally crossed the line. But the crowd roared the pair on. And while Derek may have failed in his bid to win a medal, finishing the way that he did made him an instant celebrity. The sight of Derek using his father as a crutch has become one of the enduring Olympic images. Man, can we all just relate with Derek? That there have been laps around the track where you've done everything right, right? You've trained, you've done it all the right way, and then out of nowhere an injury from life pops up and you're down on your face on the track, right? And you get up and you're limping your way and like he shared, he said, I knew I was in trouble. But I love the line that the commentator says there for the video. She said, barging his way through the stands came his father, desperate to help his son in any way that he could. Well, the first invitation to God's comfort is his presence, that, that God looked down on the track and saw his creation distraught, needing help, and he left the comfort of heaven, left the comfort of the stands, to join us in the midst of our struggle. And, and there's no way to oversell the power of presence, right? That, I don't know, I'm not huge, you know, I don't have seven doctorates. Maybe somebody else could argue this, but I don't know if God even had to leave heaven to fix stuff, right? Like if he's God and he, he made it all, could he not have you know, blinked or wiggled his nose or snapped his fingers and tried to fix things on earth, but instead he chooses to, to join us, right? And as you watch the life of Jesus, he was a master at this. So over and over again, Jesus showed up in the broken places of people's lives. So much so that it became a, one of his names. It is one of his names. In the same way that there's Santa and Kris Kringle and old St. Nick or the old fat guy in the red coat, you know, whatever your family goes with for Santa, uh, for Jesus, there's lots of names. And one of them is Emmanuel. That that same prophet, Isaiah, says that Jesus is Emmanuel. He is God with us. And I have a friend here at Horizon that I'm sure most of you know because he's, he's awesome. And his name is John Kirby. Anybody a big John Kirby fan? Yeah. Yeah, John's the man. He's great. Um, sorry, he paid me to do that. Uh, yeah, thanks, John. Uh, now, but last spring as my father's health was uh, rapidly declining, um, John asked me, he said, hey, can I start visiting with your dad? And knowing John is awesome, I said, yes, that would be great. Um, so John, over the course of a few months, visited with my dad five or six times. And he would just visit and talk about life. Again, he didn't know my dad from Adam at first. Um, he would ask my dad about his past and what he liked and loved. And eventually they talked about heaven and God and um, my dad's faith. And, and I can't tell you how much that meant to my dad. That he, he would look forward to those knocks on the door, right, from John. And, and I can't obviously tell you how much that meant to my family, that John would do that. And, and then on May 28th last year, when my, my dad stepped from you know, this world into eternity, uh, do you know who was standing with me 
within 30 minutes in my dad's nursing home. It was John Kirby and his partner at crime, Melody Hamilton. The two of them are there with Becky and I within 30 minutes because presence matters when it comes to comfort. And at Horizon, that's really one of the distinctives that we try to incorporate is we are somewhat of a big church and we try to make it feel small by showing up into each other's brokenness, that we show up when we're really needed. And John emulated that. And he encouraged me to lean on God's strength and that is the second invitation of God's comfort, to, to not only rest in his presence, but to lean into his strength. In verse 9 there, it says, And the government will be upon his shoulder, as Isaiah has given that prophecy about the coming Messiah. And that can sound kind of weird or poetic, but when you think about it, Isaiah was writing to a downtrodden people who had endured terrible leadership um, and were about to endure 70 more years of terrible leadership. And he's saying, hey, there's going to be a strong Messiah that is coming. And it's not so much a political statement. He's saying this Messiah is going to be able to hold the weight of the world on his shoulders, right? Like he's going to be strong enough for that. So like he's going to be strong enough to hold the weight of your world on his shoulders too. And for me, there's no more endearing moment in that video than when you see Jim run out onto the track and tuck his strong shoulders up under the weak shoulders of his son, and loan him his strength so that they can continue the journey. And in the Bible, we see this clearly. There's a guy named Paul that you might be familiar with. And Paul is an early church leader, wrote a lot of the Bible. But Paul's life was terrible in a lot of ways, okay? So Paul lived a life of complete and utter discomfort. So on multiple occasions, Paul is stoned. Okay, maybe not what you remember from college. They really threw rocks at him, okay? Um, Till he was dead, or they thought he was. Paul was beaten with rods or canes. Um, Paul was given the 39 lashes, just like Jesus. Paul was shipwrecked. He was bitten by snakes. He was always homeless, always hungry, and eventually beheaded, okay? But in in the midst of that, he would start churches. And one of those was in Corinth, and he writes these words to that early church. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. Comfort? Like comfort, Paul? Like, is that the right word you're going for? Like I'm picturing Paul looking like he just left a cage match. You know, he's got like a black eye and welts on his back and, you know, broken arm. And he's like, God is the God of all comfort. (laughs) Right? And you're like, Paul, might be the wrong, wrong word there, bro. Like, it reminds me of the uh, um, Princess Bride, you know, like, inconceivable, you know, and the guy's like, that word you keep using, I don't think it means what you think it means, right? Like, there's some disconnect here, Paul. Like, why are you saying God of all comfort? Why would God even allow you to suffer in such a way? Well, the answer, and this is really cool, is in his words. That the word Paul uses for comfort is a Greek word, and it's uh, periklesis. And this is a word for comfort that is not wishy-washy. That Paul isn't saying, like, hey, God sends a tuna casserole, you know, once the beatings commence. No, like, this is a word that actually means strengthening, encouraging, or building up. That Paul was saying, hey, into my brokenness, into all of my beatings and (laughs) snake bites and shipwrecks and all those things, that, that God stepped into that 
to strengthen me, to, to be that shoulder up under my weary shoulders, to loan me his strength to finish the race. Wouldn't we want that in our lives, right? Like, I love sympathy cards and all that. I've gotten quite a few <laughs> with deaths in my family. Um, but they're, they're great and they're thoughtful, but I need strengthened in, in the midst of my suffering. And that's what God offers in his comfort. Last year, about this time on Christmas Eve of all nights, uh, I was here working one of the uh, 42 Christmas Eve services that we offer. Um, it's eight, okay, but it feels like 42. And uh, while I was here, my son Finn falls in um, playland there and uh, breaks his arm. So three-year-olds will be three-year-olds. They're rough and rambunctious. Um, and maybe you saw the ambulance if you are here last year, but we, we take them down to Children's in an ambulance and, uh, you know, those, they're, they're great down there. So if you're a medical professional, thank you for working nights like Christmas Eve when families like mine need you. Uh, but we get Finn down there, and they're like, yeah, his arm's broken, like, twice. It's broken in two places. Um, and it's, yeah, we're going to, no surgery, but we're going to need to, like, set it. We're going to put in an IV, and IVs involve needles. And needles and three-year-olds go to, together about as well as, like, three-year-olds and chainsaws, right? Like, they just don't go together. Um, so all the adults in the room are making icons like, like, this is going to be bad. <laughs> and they're like, hey, dad, all chipper, uh, we need you to get up on the bed and put Finn in the comfort position. Uh, and I'm like, okay. So I, if you've never had the joy of doing that, like you get up on the bed behind your child and you wrap your arms around their arms and then you wrap their legs around their legs. And it's like some crazy yoga pose. Um, and you basically are going to hold on for dear life, Okay. And I start doing that. And at first, Finn's cool with it because it's just a nice hug from dad. But then he sees the needle, right? And I tell you, like, he is a very strong three-year-old. Like, he is trying to jump off of that bed, and he's thrashing around and kicking. And, and for him, he thinks he's fighting for his life, right? And in the moment, I'm like, why do they call this the comfort position, right? Like, nothing about this is comfortable. Like, I'm very uncomfortable. Finn's really uncomfortable. And Becky, she looks the most uncomfortable I've ever seen her, right? Like, what gives? But the more I've learned about comfort as I've prepared for this talk, it's, it's now become crystal clear to me why they call it the comfort position. Because I was loaning Finn a strength that he did not have to face the needle in front of him. That fell out of there. That's not good. Um, that there's no way that that needle gets in his arm without me offering him my strength. And when I think about my life, the times where I've been in pain and thrashing around, looking at the needles that are coming at me, again, whether it's a financial needle, a relative that's got terminal illness, a relational needle, um, those times I, I have felt the arms of my father wrap around me and offer me a strength that I did not have to face them. But here's the best news, okay? That God's invitation, the best ones last. It's, it's not just an invitation to rest in his presence, or to, to lean on his strength, it's really an invitation to find peace in the midst of the suffering. Because maybe the suffering doesn't end, right? That he's going to help us find peace in the middle of it. And that's the third invitation of God's comfort. That, that at the end of verse 9, it says that his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. That the invitation is to find peace through his counsel. And when you think of a perfect father, right? The hallmarks of a perfect father. Like certainly they're mighty, right? Like perfect father is strong. 
But dads, we know that you have to be strong, but you also have to be tender, right? That he's also the prince of peace. That he's able to give healthy doses of reality, right? Like God does, like the world's broken. King Herod kills two-year-olds. Um, but then the perfect father is also able to give healthy, healthy doses of hope that I've conquered the world. <laughs> and God gives this counsel. Some of it's blatant in the Bible. You'll read sometimes there's very blatant counsel, like, hey, don't kill people. I'm like, okay, note taken. It's going to cause some pain for me and them. Uh, don't steal, okay, right? But then some of this counsel comes just through the back and forth of our relationship with him, that it's a spiritual relationship. And we actually believe that the Bible is like a living word from God, that, that as much as it's, um, as much as I'm reading it, that it's reading me. Sounds a little creepy, but what that means is that God is literally the, the best counselor that I could ever have, Right? Because he knows everything that's happened in my life. You know, if you ever met with a counselor, maybe you hold back like that last 7%. Because you're like, uh, well, God knows that last 7%. That makes him the best friend you could ever have. That makes him the best advisor you could ever have. And when you think of the story of Christmas, it, it really is that good, healthy dose of reality and hope. That... The God of the Bible came out of the stands. He left the comforts of heaven to endure a smelly barn, right? I mean, I've been there for the birth of four children. Like, it's not a fun process um, in many ways. Uh, God endured that. Christ lived a, a life of poverty. Eventually, he's hunted down and murdered by his own people. That's the, from Isaiah, that's the people living in a land of darkness, right? But then there's this great light and great hope where Jesus overcomes it that he beats every obstacle for us, right? Like, that's the promise. In, in later interviews, going back to Derek and the track, he says this, he says, all these doctors and officials were coming onto the track, trying to get me to stop, but I was having none of it. So he's pushing away people. Then, with about 100 meters to go, I became aware of someone else on the track. I didn't realize it, but it was my dad. He said, Derek, it's me. You don't need to do this. I just said, Dad, I want to finish. Get me back in the semifinal. He said, okay. We started this thing together, and now we'll finish it together. Like when I, when I first read that, like it literally gave me chills. <laughs> that Derek said, so poignantly, I became aware of a presence behind me on the track. And today, as we consider God's comfort, like the, the question we have to ask ourselves is like, have we had that point yet where we're running down the lap, a lap of the many of the laps of our, our life, and, and we, we feel the presence of God behind us. We hear the loving footsteps of our Father jogging up behind us. Or, or have you had that moment where, where you've heard the loving voice of your Father say, hey, Bill, hey, Jim, hey, Ryan, hey, Sue, hey, Ann, you don't have to do this. You don't have to run alone anymore. And best yet, like, have you had that moment where you felt a strong shoulder of your loving father tuck, under, tuck up under your weak one and say, let me help you finish this race. Lean on my strength. Because I can look out and tell that we've all lived enough life to know that there are going to be moments where our strength is gone, right? And that is the invitation 
of all invitations of Christmas. Like, hey God, in the midst of everything I'm facing this Christmas year, and maybe right now for you it's something really hard and you're face down on the track just trying to get up. In the midst of that, all the way down to the little things, the little pebbles in our shoes, the annoying things, that Mariah Carey song we're all going to hear 12 times today, right? Like in the midst of all of that, God, like would you be my Emmanuel? Like would you enter in with me? Would you be my God with us? Would you be my God with me? And help me finish the race. Let me pray for us. God, thank you uh, for today. I just thank you for the fact that you were willing to leave heaven to join us in the midst. That you are our our Emmanuel. That, That many gods, supposed gods, stay distant and they do their thing from a distance. But... Um, You, Lord, you are the real God, and you entered in, that you enter into our chaos so that you could speak into the brokenness of our lives. And and I pray this Christmas season in particular for those of us who are, um, again, suffering with small things all the way to big things, that, that you would help us to rest in your presence, to lean on your strength, and to find peace through your counsel. In your name, amen. We are so glad you joined us this morning. Uh, We're going to continue this series all the way right up to the big day. And we'd like to remind you that on uh, the 24th, we are uh, providing eight identical services. They're going to be at 10, 11, 12, 1 o'clock, and then 3, 4, 5, and 6. Tickets are available in the rear atrium. Uh, If you're going to come to the show, the show, the service, please come. Uh, Get a ticket for everybody, including children that are going to be sitting with you, just so we can get a beat around how many people are going to be in each service, and we can redirect people to ones that need uh, more bodies in them and and, uh, more space for you to to have a great experience. We also like to remind you that we're going to have regular equipping and exploring services the previous weekend on the 21st and 22nd. So we hope to see you uh, real soon, and be sure to pick up your tickets for Christmas Eve. Have a great day. Thanks.